Good evening. Thank you for being here. It's good to it's good to see everybody in this midweek service. It's been uh, it's been quite a while since I've spoke on a Wednesday evening. Probably a few years, a couple of two or three years at least. I think the last time I spoke on a Wednesday, we were studying the book of Genesis. So <laughs> that's been a while. Uh, so you know, this is not normally the time that I would speak. This this would normally be, I believe, Ian's. Wednesday, so I've, uh, unfortunately you get me tonight instead of Ian. But we're studying, um, again, John, uh, the seventh chapter, uh, which um, Brother Justin began and did the first part of this chapter um, last week. And you can see I, I put a verse up here, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And if you recognize that verse, you know it's not from John chapter seven. <laughs> but... I think it, it asks the question that is constantly asked throughout this chapter as we go through and we look at it. People are constantly asking or they're commenting on or they're wondering about who Jesus is. And so I think if, as we go through this, it's, it's interesting to see the different um, opinions or takes on the evidence of Jesus and who, that he is the Christ and how people question this and wonder in their, their minds about this. Uh, I'm not going to go back all the way and cover the first 25 verses that uh, Justin did this last week, but I wanted just to bring up the first verse. Uh, it says that after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So, um, and as Justin mentioned, after these things is referring back to uh, the, the previous chapter, John chapter 6, uh, where Jesus uh, fed the multitude and where the people followed him because he had fed them and, and they wanted to make him king by force. But he, he told them that he was the bread of life, that they, they didn't need to seek after that bread which was only going to satisfy their hunger for a short time, but he was the true bread of life, that, that he was... Uh, what they truly needed, the spiritual bread that they needed, the spiritual food that they needed. And we remember he talked about that, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And this confused them and concerned them. And it was a hard saying. And many of them walked with him no more. And Jesus turned to the 12 and said, will you also leave? And, and Peter said, to whom shall we go, Lord, for you have the words of eternal life. So it's after these events, and, and actually we're about six months later, actually, is when, we, when John starts here. Um, if we go back again, John chapter 6, it tells us in the fourth verse, now the Passover of the feast, the, the, the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Now, if we go back and we look, and I've mentioned this when I, when I spoke um, a couple of Sundays ago, um, that in the book of John, we track the years that, of Jesus' personal ministry by the occasions, the events of the Passover. And if we, the first one is mentioned back in John chapter 2, kind of in the period immediately after Jesus turns the water into wine there at Cana. And it mentions that that was the first Passover. So that was shortly after the beginning of his personal ministry. 
And then in John chapter 5, it refers to a feast day, which most biblical scholars assume was also a feast of the Passover. So that would have been the conclusion in chapter 5 of the first year or year and a half of Jesus' personal ministry. So in John chapter 6, assuming that this is the third Passover since the beginning of his personal ministry, this is now, that would have been um, two, a little over two years. I mean, this would have been the third, yeah, the third Passover. So this would have been about two and a half years into Jesus' personal ministry. Now we're six months later. So now we're th- in John chapter 7. We're already three years into Jesus' personal ministry. Um, so again, six months have passed since the events of John chapter 6. Uh, some of the events that are recorded during this period, the six-month period, just to give you a little more perspective that happened um, in, again, Matthew chapter 16, that quote, from who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am, uh, where, G, where Peter says, where they said, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some say you're, you know, John the Baptist. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. We believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And we remember that event, so we remember the confession of Peter. So that happened again in this third, this, we're in the final year of Jesus' personal ministry. So that, a lot of times we don't understand that in context, but we're approaching, we're approaching the cross. We're, we're starting to seriously approach the cross when Jesus tells them that. And immediately after, remember that Jesus begins to tell them how he's going to suffer many things at the hand of the Jews and he's going to be crucified. And, and Peter starts telling him, no, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. And he says, get thee behind me, me Satan. For you don't understand the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So um, a second thing that we find is a second feeding of a multitude in Mark chapter 9. So we we had the feeding of the 5,000. We had the feeding of the 3,000, a separate event that happens in this interim six-month period between John chapter 6 and John chapter 7. And the other event that, that I mentioned that is not, that is recorded in the other three Gospels, John doesn't, as he, again, skips over a lot of this information that is contained in the other three Gospels to bring out some specific points uh, that weren't uh, included there. So the transfiguration uh, happened in this time. So again, it's in the third year of Christ's personal ministry as we approach the cross. Um, John chapter uh, 7, verse 2 as Justin uh, read last week, was that the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. So the Feast of Tabernacles uh, was in October. So we know that Passover happens, uh, the Feast of the Passover, uh, what the time that we call Easter, happens in that March-April time frame. And so six months later is when the Feast of Tabernacles happens. It was, it was right after harvest. It was right after the harvest time. So this was a time that they had had been harvesting and they had worked hard and now it was a time to, to rest and to rejoice and to worship. And, and all of the, all the men of Israel were called to Jerusalem and they, many families came with them. So they came to Jerusalem to celebrate and to, to worship after this time of harvest. It was a time of thanksgiving for the harvest. And so, it, you know, it was kind of a, um, it was, it was, a joyous time, as you can imagine, as you have all these families and they're all gathered together. Um, they camped out in tents or booths. 
Uh, and they did this in com- commemoration of the time of the encampment when they were in the wilderness. So they, this was a commemoration of that time that they wandered and they, they lived in tents. And, and so uh, then there were special sacrifices that were offered according to the instructions of the law. But I kind of put these pictures up here. Uh, you see, this, this is kind of what maybe one of these booths would have looked like. It was, it was made of, of tree branches. And many times they would, as they traveled, they would carry these branches on their backs and then they would construct these temporary dwellings. And they all, you can just imagine they're, they're covering the countryside out there or surrounding the temple where there are places uh, to put these. And this is just kind of maybe what it would look like as they were constructing this. But again, they were commemorating this time that they wandered in the wilderness and they camped around the tabernacle in their, in their own tents. And there, so they're... they're uh, According to God's instructions, they're remembering that then how God had, had brought them through and sustained them while they were in the wilderness and they were celebrating again this time of harvest. Uh, so again, in John chapter 7, Jesus is only six months from the cross. So a lot of times when we think we're only in the seventh chapter of John, but we're, we are approaching the cross. If we look at a, a, one of the verses, again, Luke chapter 9 says, Now it came to pass, and this is again in this interim period, when, they had, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus understanding when his time will be, and his time is going to be at that next Passover. At the time that the, that the Jewish people celebrated their deliverance from Egypt, the Son of God is going to provide the deliverance for eternity from sin. And so the true lamb of God is going to be offered at the time that they offered these lambs in, in sacrifice in, in memorial to, to God's deliverance. And so Jesus, it says, sets his face toward Jerusalem. His focus in his mind in everything he does is in, is in his mission, in, in keeping of his mission and knowing what awaits him at that time. <clears throat> So again, the first 25 verses, some of the things that were covered. First, we remember his brothers encouraged him to go to Jerusalem. He said he wasn't going to go up to the feast yet of tabernacles. And they were encouraging him to do this, but it said that they didn't believe. It was a kind of in a mocking way they were kind of doing this because they really did not believe in him at that time as the Messiah. Um, he told them that he was not going to the feast because his not time had not yet come. But in the, in the verbiage here, it was, I'm not yet going to the feast. So we know eventually he did. He went to the feast, as it were, in secret. But then he was preaching openly. It, as Jesus was not there at the early part of the feast, there was much discussion about where he was. The people were expecting him to be there as they had probably seen him in time past. And again, his fame had gone abroad. And so there was much discussion about who Jesus was and was he the Messiah and much question about that. He taught the people, and remember that they marveled, how does someone have this kind of wisdom and understanding who, was not, who didn't have learning and was not formally trained at the feet of the, uh, the Pharisees? Um, they thought no one could really have knowledge if they weren't the ones who taught them, but Jesus' knowledge was that of deity and that of the Son of God. Um, so we get to uh, verse 25. Justin covered this in briefly last time, but we'll transition here. Now, some of them from Jerusalem 
said is not this he whom they seek to kill. And so Jesus is speaking publicly and he's teaching and they say, but look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers now indeed know indeed that this truly is the Christ? So, so they, they knew they were seeking to kill him, but here's Jesus openly, openly teaching and preaching in the, in the temple. And so the people are kind of confused by this. So they, they're wondering, do the Pharisees, do the leaders know that indeed this is the cross because they're not persecuting him or challenging him and allowing him to teach uh, openly. We know that they did uh, kind of harass him and question him during this period. We read some of the verses last time. Um, but it's, it's the, you know, we know through the, the, the accounts of the Gospels that every time the Pharisees or the Sadducees challenged Jesus, that they were put in their place pretty quickly, that, that through his wisdom and his knowledge, he, he shut their mouths pretty quick. And that's usually resulted in humiliation for them. Um, they recognized his power and his wisdom and his influence among the people. But rather than seek him and to, uh, to seek to understand the truth that he taught, they were envious and bitter and sought to kill him. Verse 27, 28, however, we know that where the son, where this man is, however, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ come, no, no one knows where he is from. So we're, we're okay, you go, well, what, what's that all about? <laughs> so this goes back to Isaiah chapter 53, where the scripture says, talking about the, the Messiah who would come as a lamb, he was led to the slaughter and as a sheep. Uh, done before his shear, so opening not his mouth and his humiliation, his judgment was taken. And who shall declare his generation or where he came from for his life is taken from the earth. So they read into this that there was something mysterious about where the Messiah ha would have come from. Um, in fact, that was true, wasn't it? If they, if they really sought to, to find the truth, they would recognize the, the miracle of the virgin birth and the way uh, and then Jesus's, uh, the miraculous way that he was born into this world. Um, and the fact that he met all of those prophecies concerning his birth at Bethlehem. Um, it says, then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I am from. And I have not, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. So Jesus is somewhat mocking them you know where I'm from, or you think you know where I'm from. Um, you think you know me, but you really don't know me. They assumed he, they know he's from Galilee. Uh, they, they know that he, or they, they believe him to be the son of Joseph and of Mary. Um, they believe that he has brothers that are still there in Galilee, but, that, but honestly, they really don't know. Where, they don't know he's the son of God. They don't know that he's come from heaven. They don't know that he is, has come here to redeem them. Um, but they, in their minds, think they have it all figured out. But he tells them, I'm, I'm not, I don't come from myself, but he who sent me is true, speaking, of course, of the Father, whom you do not know. So Jesus tells them, you don't know God, and therefore you don't know me, his son. <clears throat> and these were, the, these were the religious leaders of the Jewish people who should have known both. But I know him, speaking of, of the, the Father, for I am from him and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus was from God. He was 
God's son. He brought God's message. He spoke God's word. He did God's work. And in fact, he was God in the flesh, as the scripture teaches us. Uh, He was from God. Um, It says, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. His hour was six months off. His time was six months off. It was was providential um, restriction that surrounded him that would, he would, he would not be taken until it was that time. If, if, even if these people was truly sought to, as it says here, laid hands, they would not lay hands on him because he, his time had not yet come. God supernaturally constrained them. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ come, will he do more signs than what this man has done? <clears throat> So there were those, there were those among them who saw these things and they reasoned in their heart and said, this, ha- this must be the Christ. Would the, will the Messiah do more than what this man has done, referring to the power of his teaching, referring to the miraculous things that he did, the way he answered the, the, uh, the Pharisees and, the, and the, the leaders? Surely this would be the Messiah. But it says, the, but the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things Concerning him and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So, again, the envy and the jealousy and, and the hatred of the Jewish leaders as, they, as, they, as their spies come back and tell them, the people are starting to believe that he is the Messiah. There were many who did believe and understand that he was the Messiah. <clears throat> but they, this, this was such a great threat to them. You know, you think about all the reasons that the Jewish rulers hated Jesus and just some of those. Number one, their positions as religious leaders of the people had caused them to become very arrogant and prideful. And, you know, we talked about that 400-year period and where the Pharisees, where their, um, where their origins came from, that they sought to preserve the purity of God's law in the time that they were being heavily influenced by the Greek, their, uh, their Greek... Uh, overseers. And they wanted to preserve that and stop the Greek influence. And so they had a noble cause to do that. But as they did this, they became very arrogant and puffed up and they saw themselves as the, as the arbiters of truth rather than God and God's word. And so it, their mission became no longer about God and it became unfortunately about them. Um, again, they saw themselves as righteous. They saw themselves as the arbiters of truth. And so when Jesus threatened their authority, his teachings, miracles, compassion gained a great following among the people which threatened them. They had been used to having that. They were almost worshiped by the people and they were, they had this honor and prestige among the people. And now Jesus was, was taking all of their attention. Jesus was drawing the people after him, after after the truth and his wisdom confounded their efforts to discredit him so as they went about and they tried to discredit Jesus in front of these people they themselves always ended up getting discredited uh, by the wisdom which Jesus taught and again this was humiliating to them his public criticism of, of them that he called them hypocrites and his and the separation of their tradition from God's word they 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 espoused the traditions as they had enumerated them in, in application in, in um, addition to God's word. And, and Jesus cut through all of that 
to show the true meaning of what God's word was and, and set aside their tradition. And this infuriated them again. This was, they saw this as an attack again on their authority, which Jesus undermined. His identity among the people as the Messiah also threatened their appointed positions with the Romans, speaking specifically of the high priests and the Sadducees who had become very political. The evidence of who Jesus was should have been evident to them. And perhaps in some ways it was, and in spite of that, they still sought to kill him, which is even more um, of a uh, con condemnation upon them in that generation. <clears throat> then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you just a little, a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Jesus is referring to the cross. It's six months away. It's on the horizon. I'm only going to be with you a short while longer, and then I'm going to go back to the Father. And where I go, you're not, you can't follow. You can't come there. <clears throat> Unless they would become obedient to him, they would never see the Father as, as the Father. They would, they, would only see, they would only see Jesus in judgment and in condemnation. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where am I? Where I am, you cannot come. So they're, they're mocking, and this is in derision. What is he talking about? He's going to go where we can't find him. He's going to go out there among, is he going to go off into one of these foreign countries to the dispersion of the Jews and teach them there? Is he going to teach among the Greeks? So again, it was, it was a mocking tone, not understanding, and that their contempt uh, for Jesus is evident. On the last day of the great day of the feast, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As the scripture says, we go back to Isaiah chapter 58 and 11. And I think we, we talked about this when we studied uh, the book of Isaiah, which says the Lord will guide you continuously and will satisfy your, your soul in drought. He will strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Um, and there's, other, there's also a quote from Jeremiah that, that goes along with what Jesus is saying here. Um, if they were going to come to him, they would come in humble obedience. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He believes in me. He says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. During this Feast of the Tabernacles, there was an observance that happened. It's not, it's not identified in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's somewhat referred to in the New, but according to, the, the, again, the tradition of the Jewish people. During this observance, a priest in procession with the people brought water from the pool of Siloam. And he brought it into to the high court of the temple through the water gate. As he entered, the trumpets were, were sounded, and he ascended the slope of the altar. And at the bottom, at the top were two silver basins with small holes in the bottom, and into one was poured the water from the pool of Siloam, and the other was poured wine, so water and wine flowing together into the bottom of the altar. And it's supposed that when Jesus, when and and this um, this was in symbolic remembrance of, of, of Moses fetching water from the rock when they were in the wilderness. And if we remember, the New Testament tells us that that rock that followed them 
was Christ. And so that, re- that, that was a reference to the Messiah, the wa- bringing water from that rock, the, the living water of Christ. Um, and so it was during people, the biblical scholars suppose that it was during this event that Jesus cried out and said this, let, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, making that distinction between the physical water that temporarily quenches a thirst and the, and the thirst that only Jesus can quench, that thirst of the soul for, for, for salvation and forgiveness and acceptance uh, into uh, the family of God. <clears throat> but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So his speaking of this living water that would flow from those who believe in him was a, refer, a reference again to the Holy Spirit, which would be given to those that believe. And when was that Holy Spirit given? If we go to Acts chapter 2, we remember the, ver- the words of Peter when they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you, to your children, to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Jesus said those who believe on him would receive that, whole, that gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said when you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you, that's when you will receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. And that promise was to them, to those who are afar off, even as many as the Lord God shall call until Jesus returns again. So again, the Spirit would be given to those who would re, who, believing in him that they would receive when would it happen as Peter said be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost which is tied together in Mark chapter 16 16 he who believes and is baptized will be saved that Holy Spirit representing that salvation that has occurred in those who have been baptized into Christ the seal of God, of the Holy Spirit, that gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive, the indwelling of, of the Christ Spirit that we receive when we are baptized into Him. It is not the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that they receive, but through the laying on of hands or through the, the pouring out of the Spirit that was poured out on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. But this is, again, it's, it's, a, it's the earnest of the Spirit. Uh, it's something that, that we don't really probably fully comprehend or understand, but we know by faith that God has given it to us when we've obeyed him and obeyed the gospel. We know that it is given as a help to us, though we sometimes may not understand all the ways that that spirit helps us. It does not work independently uh, of God's word and God's, uh, the, the spirit of God's truth it is in God's word. Um, it is not something that makes us immune to sin, obviously. <laughs> Uh, as we see even the apostles subject and, and commit sin after they've received the Holy Spirit. But we, we just understand that it is God's mark on us that identifies us as his, and it will remain in us uh, eternally uh, when we are united with him. At some point, maybe we'll talk more on just a lesson on the Holy Spirit, because there's a lot of things that uh, probably we would like to know more about um, the, the, we're limited on what the scripture teaches us, but we do know it tells us that. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, truly, this is the prophet. 
And others said, this is the cross. But some said, will cross come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that cross comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So again, there were many who said, surely this is that prophet who Moses referred to, who would be in the likeness of Moses, who would be a lawgiver, who would be the Messiah. And they, some said, truly, this must be the cross. But then they start to question that back and forth. Who, who did men say that I, the son of man, am? Who had said this before? It was the Pharisees. It was the Jews who had pointed out, this man's from Galilee. There's no prophet that comes from Galilee, they said, which was a lie. There was an Old Testament prophet named Jonah that came from the region of Galilee. So even though they said this, they, they were scripturally wrong, but people just bought it as if it were truth. And that's why, you know, unfortunately with Sometimes people do that with religious leaders, right? Well, they said it. It must be true. It wasn't true. Um, and then they questioned, well, the, surely it, the, he must come from, he must be the seed of David and come from Bethlehem. Jesus met both of those requirements. If they really wanted to know and they wanted to research, they could go back and talk to his family. They could talk to people who lived in Galilee at the time that Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and they were gone for some period of time when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So there was, there were, they, could have, they could have proven these things had they wanted to, had they really sought to find the truth. So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Again, there, the chief priests had sent out officers to arrest Jesus. But it said, even though they saw him, they didn't lay hands on him. Why? Because God was preventing it. God would not allow it. It was not his time. <clears throat> but there was a division among the people. Well, the people were, were questioning. Some believed it was he was the Messiah. Some did not. And the Jews, the Jewish leaders, again, were sowing uh, seeds of doubt and lie, outright lies about Jesus to dissuade people from believing in him. Then the officers came to the chief priest. So there was the officers who came to take Jesus, but they couldn't lay hands on him. They didn't lay hands on him, who said, why have you not brought him? And they answered, no man ever spoke like this man. What was their answer? No one has, no one, no man has ever spoke with the wisdom that this man speaks. And these were the officers of, of the Jewish court who had been sent by the Jewish leaders to arrest Jesus. And so they were, in, they were awestruck with the wisdom and the way that Jesus spoke. It says, then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Again, the inference being that anyone who believed in Jesus was deceived, that Jesus himself was nothing but a deceiver. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law that does not know the law is accursed. So, so their evidence for Jesus not being the Messiah is, well, none of us believe in him. But if we don't believe in him, I mean, how could you possibly believe in him? Because we are the arbiters of truth, right? We are the righteous one. We are the appointed of God, or so they believe themselves to be. <clears throat> and so anyone who did believe in Jesus, they pronounce as not understanding or knowing the law and as of being and that they themselves were being accursed. So not only did they hate Jesus, but they hated anyone who believed in Jesus. It says, but Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So Nicodemus 
who we remember came to Jesus by night, and what did he say? He said, he said, Master, we know that no one can do these things that you do except God be with him. So Nicodemus was a man of honest heart. He, 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 did not, he knew what his eyes were telling him. He knew what his heart was telling him, that the things Jesus did identified himself as, as, a, as being from God and having power from God. And Nicodemus, you know, we believe, probably really believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he, he stands up. Now, Nicodemus was certainly a minority among the Jewish court. By and large, they all hated Jesus. They all sought to put him to death. They had agreed upon this when they, when they, when they started plotting to put him to death. And he says, kind of like our law would say, that isn't someone innocent until you prove him guilty or until you at least hear the case? <clears throat> Shouldn't we at least understand, or hear, hear about him before we decide to condemn him to death? And they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. So again, they say, Go search the scriptures. You'll see none, no prophet has come from Galilee. But if they did that themselves, they would recognize that there was, that Jonah himself and, um, had come from Galilee. So some, just some takeaways uh, from John chapter 7. Um, Again, who do men say the son, that I, the Son of Man, am? Throughout this chapter, we see this division among the people, with some being convinced or almost convinced that he is the Messiah, but then questioning because of the seeds of doubt that are sown uh, by the Jewish leaders. Um, again, the, the different opinions, the influence of the Jews, the lies of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the, the lies they told about him breaking the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus had told him, you don't keep the Sabbath and then he talked to them about that you, you know, you circumcise on, on the Sabbath so that you don't break the law of Moses. And I've made, I made a man whole and healed a man on the Sabbath. And yet you accuse me of breaking the Sabbath. You break the Sabbath. And why are you seeking to kill me? Uh, they lied about there not being a prophet from Galilee and not, um, not really seeking to find Jesus' true origins. Um, we take away that Jesus was preparing to complete his mission. Uh, that he had turned his eyes to Jerusalem, that he was approaching that time. And so everything he did was in keeping with his mission and teaching in Galilee and in teaching in uh, Jerusalem. Um, you know, Jesus will say um, that I must do the work, I must work while it, is, while it is day because the night cometh when no man can work. That time was approaching. Um, it's a lesson to us that, as Jesus said, when he was 12 years old and he went to Jerusalem and, his, and he stayed behind when all of his family and, and neighbors went back to Galilee and they had to come back and find him. And he said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? That is our mission as the children of God, as, as the, uh, those saved in Christ Jesus, that we be about our father's business, that we understand that we have a limited time here. And until that time that we have work to do, just as Jesus did, because we don't know when he is going to call us home or when he will return. But whatever case, we want to be found in him and doing his work and being prepared. <clears throat> never knowing the minds of those present this evening, we never want to uh, conclude without an invitation. If, if you're here this evening and, and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but you've never taken the step of being buried with him in baptism, and you would like to do that tonight, 
you'd like to be born again into the family of God to receive the remission of sins that Jesus offers when you come to him. Or if we can assist you in prayers or in any way, we would invite you to come forward while we stand and sing.